0: welcome to the sports innovation institute podcast located inside the school of health and human sciences at iupui in indianapolis indiana i'm your host travis smith a proud sport management alum adjunct faculty member and associate editor of the sports innovation journal here at iupui on this podcast we look to highlight the innovative practitioners and scholars in sports to learn and design think the future of the industry together thanks for listening to the sports innovation institute podcast All right, so thank you for listening to the Sports Innovation Institute podcast. Today, I'm joined by Adam White and Russ Wild, Jr. from Front Office Sports. Um, so, guys, let's just get going and start from the beginning. What's the founding story in original business strategy in of Front Office Sports?
1: Hey, this is, this is Adam. And first off, I I Russ never goes by Jr. very much, so it's always a, <laughs> that's always a good one.
0: <laughs> I think um, I, I, think I yeah. it on Twitter, Russ.
2: Yeah,
1: no, yeah. No. I think it's
0: everywhere. I think it's everywhere, think it's so but it's so much uh, more mature. It's really funny. I
1: yeah. mean, look. For the first three years of our relationship, Russ was still in my phone as Rush Russ, social media specialist. I didn't even have his last name in there until, like, I don't know, probably three months ago or something like that. So, all good things. But uh, no, appreciate you uh, having us on, and I can kind of give my side of the, the origin story, and I'm sure Russ is, can can kind of chime in with his, but essentially what happened was back in 2014 I had just finished my freshman year at the University of Miami went back home to my uh, where I was born and raised in Arizona and while I was home trying to get a job over the summer was playing baseball still at the time and a few things didn't line up from the job front mainly the fact that I was only home for three months and most people went higher for three months and so I'm like okay, well, if that's, if that's the case, well, what can I do to make sure I'm making the most of my time while I'm back at home and can't do much during the 120 degree days of an Arizona summer? And so I thought back to my first year at Miami and one of the projects we had as a, as a freshman was doing informational interviews with people who worked in the sports industry. And I thought to myself, well, shoot, if I going to do one, I might as well do multiples. And the ultimate end goal at that time was just over the course of the next three years make sure by the time that i graduated from um that i was walking into a job because i knew enough people and i had proved myself in other roles and i didn't really have to interview or fill out applications my thing is i never wanted to be in the interview process i just want people to know who i was and consider me for a role shoot me opportunities and then have you know a job in hand when i graduated that quickly changed over the course of the next four years while I was at UM three years resorts uh, because really at that time it was just something that I guess there was a whole not it's, it's not where it is now where, you know there's a lot of people covering the business of sports and more and more so recently and at that time there really wasn't anyone outside the traditional power brokers and so outside of us doing informational interviews over the course of the next two and a half, three years when I first started, right, the first year was all informational interviews. I did 110. Russ came on in, I want to say like October or September of that first year after I got back to school and he was just helping, you know, source people and on social media and essentially we were just doing it as a hobby and for fun. And over the course of the next years, it got to the point where more people wanted to write for us. We had guest contributors early on because we didn't have any money. And then from there, it got to the point where people wanted us to cover day-to-day news stories and insights and analysis and things like that. So we tried to add in that. And then started with the newsletter. And you know, lo and behold, somehow it all worked. And um, you know, I got to 2017. We had made a couple bucks. And I was like, what do I do? I'm like, do I graduate and walk into these jobs that I have the opportunity for? Or do I continue to go all in on this? And, you know, quite frankly, I went 12 rounds interviews deep with an organization and I didn't get the job. And so I was like, well, shoot, might as well go ahead and keep working on FOS, which is what I had. So went back to Miami. Luckily, the girl I was dating at the time had an apartment that she was living in, that was her parents. So I was living rent-free and working at a restaurant and working on the site and then working as a PA at Miami again back for basically all of 2017 into almost half of 2018. And from there, uh, luckily enough met our investor on Twitter at the early part of 2018, started talking Him and I met in New York in like June or July of 2018. Uh, From there, I ended up just continuing to talk and got the investment in November slash December of 2018, moved to New York then. have been here now, I want to say eight months, and we will be at nine to 11 full-time employees by the time this year is over and setting ourselves up well for hopefully what is a big 2020 after 2019 was a lot of testing and seeing what stuck and seeing what didn't. So long story short, that's kind of the progression of, of what has happened and, and where we are now.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I even was a guest contributor one, cause that's when I found out about you guys. I had Lee Steinberg and a couple yeah. other people and just the, the growth from back then, um, and they're still archived, so people could even go back and see you guys literally yeah. informational interviews, and then now a lot of the content that we'll get into. Um, but the growth, I think, and that just tells uh, people that, you know, you guys have come from a long way when they see your following on Twitter. with like uh, close to 40,000 followers just on Twitter. Um, so about your guys' roles, I mean, so... Adam, you're the CEO, and um, and Russ, you're listed as the COO. So kind of what are your guys' different responsibilities and daily roles today and how those kind of grown with your growth as a company? Uh, so what kind of responsibilities each of those areas you guys cover? I'm sure it's – I mean, now you're growing and it's changing, but what's that like, the differences?
1: Yeah, it's basically just to keep each other in check. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: um, no, it's, it's a lot. I'll, I'll let Russ
2: take
1: that one first.
2: Yeah, so how we, we've sort of, you know, for us upon the start when we got the investment and we we're ready to sort of dive in and try to turn FOS into like a full-fledged business, it was like very, very important to us that we had sort of a separation of church and state, right? So between the editorial and business sides of FOS. And so, you know, with Adam sort of at the top, uh, you know, we we went out and hired, um, you know, Ian, Ian Thomas and Michael McCarthy just sort of really on the editorial side, which sort of still flows up to Adam. And then for me, it's overseeing sort of a lot of the business operations, you know, partner conversations, uh, you know, and then also just general sort of like growth of FOS and, you know, how we sort of productize ourselves in the market. Because obviously, as Adam mentioned, there's a lot more sort of players in the space now than there ever were from the perspective of covering the sports industry. So you know, that's sort of like how we separate it Adam at the top overseeing pretty much everything. And then for me, I try to mostly focus on the, uh, you know, sort of a lot of the business operations of FOS. Of
0: that's great. Um, uh, speaking of the content, I want to, what I'd like to do is mention a handful of different pieces of content that, that FOS puts out. And then maybe whether you guys rotate or someone wants to take whichever, you can just tell our listeners what they are and what they can expect to get out of them. Um, cause I'm trying to get people to really drive you to front office of sports cause I see the value in it. So uh, the email newsletter, I am subscribe and we'll link the subscription for them to actually get to it. But um, what's that like the email newsletter? I mean, uh, how did that come about and how are you guys uh, think it's doing so far?
1: Yeah. So I'll talk, touch on that. I mean, the way we kind of view the business is every Thing that we touch is a different product in itself. Right. So the way you consume on Twitter, you're going to consume FOS differently than if you read FOS on the newsletter, you're going to consume it differently. If you read FOS on the site, you're going to consume it differently. if You see FOS on LinkedIn, all these different things. And so each one of those, those areas, we want to make sure that we're delivering a product that is how people consume in that medium, right? So the newsletter is such, right? People are reading through their email. People are using it as a way to get their day started. People are using it as an opportunity to get caught up on what's going on. And it allows us to do a little bit of, I would say, intermedia storytelling in terms of like, we have a platform now that we can put exclusive scoops in if we want. We can do recaps of the daily news. We can cover interesting storylines. We can add different links, things like that. That's not a full-fledged story, but not a 240-character tweet, it's like the middle ground there. Uh, so we try and, and do that and, and build that newsletter into what is basically A daily, hopefully, must read for most people in the industry. And that has become something that we're, you know, we're pretty bullish on the growth opportunity because of the fact that there is no real barrier to entry, right? Your barrier to entry is signing up with an email. That's it. Uh, So that's like our big opportunity for growth in the long term. Obviously, social and and, and the site are a little bit different, but um, newsletter specifically is. An area where we think we have a, a cool opportunity to continue to grow in and, and one that, you know, you'll see, right, we've, we've played around with it a lot in terms of design, in terms of what we're doing, what it looks like. We've kind of landed on something finally, which I'm sure Rush is happy about because he knows I like to jump around <laughs> and do crazy things every once in a while. Uh, but it's it's definitely something where it's like, this is day to day, one of our most visible assets and we want to make sure and treat it as such.
0: Hey listeners, a quick message and then we'll get right back to the interview. I wanted to quickly tell you that the Sports Innovation Journal is now accepting submissions. If you have or are looking for a place to publish your innovative thoughts and studies on the sports industry, then please consider the Sports Innovation Journal. We are an open access journal and our target audience is the practitioner looking for answers to the questions and problems in their job and we want to attract and publish researchers that are identifying and studying those questions and problems if you are interested in learning more about the journal and wanting to submit or sign up to be a reviewer then visit the link in the episode notes or email dr david pierce the editor and director of the sports innovation institute at d p i e r c e 3 at iupui.edu d pierce 3 at edu. now let's get back to the interview Uh, What about huddle series? So I've paid attention to this. And so what is huddle series? How'd you come up with that idea? And then uh, how, I mean, how many do you think you are going to do? Is this something you're going to keep going?
2: Yeah, for sure. So huddle series has been incredible for us, I think for a couple of reasons. One, you know, the reason why we sort of laid out that format in and of itself is because there's a number of sort of conferences throughout the industry and even in other industries, right? And, you know, when we, Adam and myself, have attended conferences in the past, we just had some sort of like feeling of that we didn't get to meet with everybody we wanted to uh, or even sort of that we just, you know, we didn't necessarily get the most out of sort of what was being said on stage or what was being said on stage you know, nobody's sharing trade secrets at a conference, right? There's, there's a reason why people are on stage to share, you know, from a marketing perspective what they want to do. And so for us, you know, we've sort of wanted to focus on attendees rather than the actual folks that are on stage uh, and sort of boil down, like if you're attending a conference paying anywhere from, you know, 200 to, you know, multiple thousands of dollars, what is it exactly that you want to sort of benefit from? And then also tangentially to that is, you know, there's not really an event circuit, so to speak, for call it your 35 and unders of the space. Uh, And so for us, that was something that we were trying to pay a lot of attention to was, you know, pricing sensitivity around that sort of demographic, as well as just building events where, you know, previously, you're you're not going to see sort of, you know, a 25 to 28 year old executive at a lot of the conferences in the space. And so for us to provide a platform for that, that was what we sort of sought out to do. And I think what we kind of focus on, I'll kind of give a quick rundown of the layout or, or the, uh, you know, how they sort of work is, you know, it's a hundred people max pretty much per event. Uh, and there's actual breakout sessions where, you know, we have two speakers or huddle leaders as we call them per uh, sort of station, if you will. Uh, and the attendees go from huddle to huddle where they'll actually have, you know, a 15 minute introduction by the two leaders and then kind of opens up to, you know, a back and forth discussion where, they're actually able to answer questions. And, you know, I think that the term safe space sort of has political connotations, but I really feel like we've created sort of a safe space in the industry where people aren't afraid to ask questions. They're not afraid to sort of, you know, just try to figure things out and be open and honest about, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, struggles that they're having getting buy-in on certain issues from executives or even just trying to figure out solutions to things that, you know, maybe aren't widely sort of talked about in the sports industry. So, we, uh, we hosted three events this year, um, blowing that out next year. We're actually hopefully announcing everything sort of in the next, uh, I would say, month or so. But, um, you know, the Huddle Series is really important, not only to FOS, but just in terms of building the community of, you know, the 35 and unders of the space. And we'll uh, we'll have more details on, on that in a couple weeks here.
0: Well, it's, it's very intentional, it seems like, because if, um, like you said, that some people just go and... Um, they might need a safe space or something like that. Or there's so many people that you can't really get to the content that you want. But with these, and I haven't attended one obviously, but I assume that when they go there, they know the expectation is to share and, um, and engage with others whenever you limit it to a hundred or so people. Is that kind of a reason why you guys did that too, is the intentionality?
2: Yeah. And I, I mean the biggest thing, like, you know, for me sort of seeing how like the attendees are engaging with the event, like, I haven't seen a single phone or laptop at any huddle series event. Like we, we intentionally give people notebooks and people are actually using them. Right. So, you know, I think that's that right there is the huge difference from our events and other conferences, right? Like nobody's trying to get a tweet off. Nobody's trying to like, you know, get the photo of whoever's speaking. Like it really, you're there to learn. You're there to sort of, you know, connect with the other individuals. And, you know, I think some of the intricacies of what we do have sort of fostered an environment that lends to that. So, um, it's, it's exciting, and I think that's sort of, uh, you know, that's just sort of the environment that we've tried to build for, you know, for that sort of demographic.
0: Yeah, you do it in creative places too. I mean, the the, the way you guys stage it is really cool, and it seems like you've been able to get some good partners for that. Um, Adam, I want to talk about um, shot callers, um, if that's what you're still calling the video parts of it, where they're, they're short segment videos, interviews. And um, does that is that something you guys wanted to keep that informational interview style going but take it to video content and more value at or or uh, what have you seen with uh, shot callers and is that something you uh, you've the reception's been pretty good with
1: yeah it's definitely been really good honestly it was just oh, I'm trying to think where that where the heck that came from uh, well, essentially we were, we were working with IEG at the time about a year ago and we said like let's just shoot a bunch of videos and then we had all this videos and Russ and I are like what the hell do we call this and so we came up with some ideas and somehow landed on shop callers and it worked and it became something that's been really good for us both editorially and, and branded wise and so we've had the opportunity to kind of package that and that was Russ right Russ was the one who's able to productize it I didn't think we could do it early on and He believed in it and it's something that has done a lot of good work for us, both, you know, from a content standpoint, from a view standpoint, from an engagement standpoint, from just like the stuff that these people want to see. Um, And it's, again, something that's different in the space. And so we've been able to to really, really leverage that and it's it's worked well um and it's something that we're you know going to continue to work on going forward i think it's something that we can potentially turn into more a a larger franchise beyond just the interviews right like or my big thing in the office is always asking ourselves why can't we like why can't we do this right why can't we turn shot callers into an event series or a big event right like with just people that are at that level, or why can't we turn it into something that, you know, maybe a written series, whatever it is. So, video is just is just the tip of the iceberg. Realistically, there's a, there's a lot more to come there, and I think it's been something that has overperformed what our expectations were. But I think the the lesson there is that we built a franchise, right? It wasn't just hey, we're going to put out some random video. And I think that's one of the areas that Russ has done really well, and that we have done well together, is that when we look at things we look at them and say, how do we build a franchise around that becomes like a tentpole opportunity that people can rally around, right? Rising 25, perfect example. Uh, the best employers in sports award that we just launched, the huddle series, right? We could have just had an event and said, okay, this is a digital media event, but we productized it and put it into something that now in a few months, we can probably sell XYZ for. So it's, it's, I think that's the area that people kind of forget to realize is that, yeah, it's media, but it's also like product at the same time, right? You know, when, when a consumer or retail company drops something, it's like this is in a, a category or this is a new product or even a SaaS company, like we have a new product, right? Like you can't just say like, oh, we're just going to drop you know a, a line of videos and not have anything behind it, right? Yeah, Maybe some of the most successful ones, like complex sneaker shopping, like all these things. There's some type of glue that holds it all together.
2: Shotcaller Travis has become sort of like, like people are coming to us in the, in the industry and saying, "Hey, like, how do we get featured in this thing?" So I think because you know it's just sort of as rung a bell, I guess, with you know whether it's PR or marketing folks in the industry that have said, "Hey, like, what? How do we get a part of this? How do I get my CEO or VP of sales or whoever it is?" sort of to be featured in the series. And I think, you know, like maybe that would happen if we just had an interview series that we released once in a while, but it just gives like a tangible sort of definition to, you know, what exactly that, that series or franchise is.
0: Which means more revenue opportunities as a business, I'm sure too. And, um, the, uh, the consistency has been impressive with the, you guys are doing things and you you talked about building a franchise. Um, I mean, it's become very consistent of you all. The, um, The creativity though. So consistency is really operational, but the, the, how do you guys come up with all this creative stuff that you're doing? Because are you inspired from other business models, either in or outside of the sports industry, or is it just sitting in a room with your staff and, or just you two maybe coming up with like, what can we do and how do we, uh, kind of wrap it, like, uh, package it. Um, but what's that like the creativity behind it?
1: I don't know if you want to know that
0: um,
1: <laughs> Russ and I always Russ and I always joke about it where it's just like I, I we we see something outside and we're like hey we can do that and then two minutes what's what the, the biggest thing is the biggest admin advantage for us is that the feedback loop is relatively zero right like I go to Russ and say Russ do you want to do this he's like yeah it sounds like a pretty good idea can we do this financially? Russ is usually the voice of reason in a lot of these things. Um, he's like, can we do this financially? And does it make sense for the business? And, you know, I look at the stuff and I'm like, oh yeah, this is it. And then a week later we're doing it, right? Like wellness Wednesday is a perfect example. We were speaking with a partner they said, this is what we want to do. Russ and I sat in the room for a second said, hey, look, why don't we do this? Pitched it to them and here we go. new franchise, right? Like, I don't know. I think that's the advantage you're, us being how we are and our dynamic together is that we just play off each other really well and and like i mean that's just like not even the extent we only have so many resources right now so we can only do so much uh, but there's there's so much more that we have on the pipeline and it's all about being deliberate right it's rolling out this franchise and then how to make sure we grow it into sustainable franchise perfect example with rising 25 right like That's going into its fourth year, but that's something we know has like a ton of staying power best employers in sports, we believe has a ton of staying power huddle series. Like that's something that we can execute on a repeatable basis year over year and continue to grow and and have it be something that's like A tentpole opportunity. So there's a lot of things in between and and we try to be as strategic as we can with them, uh, but making sure that we look other places. I mean, I spend most of my time looking outside at what other industry publications are doing you know i was looking at stuff early on and i was saying like wow all these other publications are doing webinars why don't we try that and like no one really at the time in the sports space was doing webinars and i was like well why don't we do webinars and boom the webinars started working for us And i was like okay cool so now we have that well, what else can we do um and so that's again i think the biggest thing is at the end of the day, all this is about, we want to make sure that people feel that you know, us at covering the industry and people who I guess are, I wouldn't say a bastion, but like people who are this like gathering place for industry people are, are taking things seriously and are doing stuff in a way that like, in my opinion, right. It's just crazy. As I feel like the people who are covering the industry should be as innovative, if not more innovative than the industry itself. Right. Like, that's my thing. If you, if you're someone in a lot of these and across other industries, a lot of these, you know, prosumer B2B media brands for the most part are like way behind the times from traditional media companies. So it's like, well, why can't this be better? Right? Like you have to, at least in my opinion, if you're reading something on a day-to-day basis, it should be the best product, the best format, the best information, the best design, all this stuff, because like, at the end of the day that's kind of what calls people up to be better and that's what we always think about it the creativity kind of always loops back to what is this impact right i think you said impactful or mindful or whatever it is that you mentioned from an adjective standpoint like that's really what it is right how do we how do we move the needle in the industry right like cool we can monetize that's great but i would tell russ like I could make more money at Chick-fil-A than I'm making right now, but like I can't make the amount of an impact that we hope to make this year, next year, five years from now. Uh, And that's like at the end of the day, that's the biggest thing for us.
0: Yeah, your creativity seems like you guys are playing the long game too because you have resources right now and you're conscious of the fact that you can't do everything right now, but you're doing what you can maximizing that. And then your creativity process seems like it's not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, with your industry, even as it grows, um, I want to last question. Then I'll just open it up for uh, the, I'll ask you a couple questions about advice for for students that are still in college. But you may not be able to give too much uh, uh, shining light on this. But you know, three to five years from now, what do you think uh, size wise or or focus area wise, front office sports could be doing? Or do you guys even think that far out? Or um, or what do you think? Because I mean, you've gotten into feature store or breaking news. Uh, which we can talk about that. And then you've hired some really good, talented writers. Uh, What's it look like three to five years from now?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things that it could look like. Uh, I think the biggest thing, and and while we have this plan in place, it's just too early to tell what a lot of things are going to be like. So more likely we're focused on 2020 with just, you know, most recent stuff and then beyond. Uh, There's no reason for us why. We can't, at least my opinion, be you know a top a top ten sports publisher in the entire like ecosystem of sports publishing, right? I think there's a there's a huge opportunity for that, and then I think the other thing is that we have the chance. Sorry, Risa, our employee just got a mini fridge, and she's walking by me in the hallway, and I can't stop laughing. But anyways, no, so. Yeah, it's, 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 we're in a really good spot. And I think the biggest thing is like, what can we do now? Like you mentioned, we're playing the long game, right? I, I'm excited about the huddle series in three years. I'm about excited about the rising 25 in three years. I'm excited about what best employers in sports looks like in three years. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that we have in the works. Some of it, we're not like too keen to share just yet, but I think the, an overall standpoint where we'd like to be, I mean, I don't know. I think we could accomplish where we want to accomplish with 20 to 30 full-time employees, right? So two or three times more than we are right now. But over the course of three years, that's not too, too crazy. Um, So I don't don't know. I'm not trying to build the next Amazon or the next Bleacher Report. I mean, I'll take it if that happens, but that's not, not the end game. I think the end game is to make sure that all the people who work for FOS have a great quality of living, have a good opportunity here feel valued here and then are able to do their best work here and aren't feeling like they're pressured to produce a hundred pieces of content a day or whatever it is, or that they are only in one beat and they're restricted or, you know, all these different things. Like, it's like we want, and this has been since the beginning, we want people to feel like they have the opportunity to do the best work they can here. And relatively knowing the fact that by the time, they're done here hopefully they have a chance to go anywhere and if they do their best work here they can go anywhere and and we recognize that we tell people even when we hire them it's like I would love for you to be around for the next 20 years or whatever it is like this or however long this business is around but we know that's probably not going to happen so how can we make sure that while you're here whether it's a year three years five years that you set yourself up for whatever that next move is whether it's with us or without us so yeah, that's a long story short of a lot of different things. Russ probably has some different thoughts, but, uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. That's Russ is the of reason, right? So, uh, <laughs> focused on like you also just kind of thinking about the next quarter, the next year. Um, and, uh, how do you play into that? Like, when are you thinking in your head, what the vision could be?
2: Yeah. I, I like, we, you know, sort of like going back to the creative process question, I guess, like we have probably, I don't know at least 20 to 25 franchises or concepts that ideally like we would launch tomorrow, but it's just not, you know, like we're a nine person team at the moment, right. Or we will at the end of the month be. So it's like, that's not necessarily, you know, we, we can't just launch all 20 of these sort of concepts and hit on all of them with a hundred percent, you know, access rate, right. Like, or even just terms of a quality perspective, like we'd rather launch one or two sort of items each year you know, whether that's, you know, an extension of the Horizon 25, whether that's an extension of the Huddle series, whatever it looks like, or completely new franchi- franchises in and of themselves, like, you know, there's a the level of quality and care and time that goes into each of these things that we launch. And so for us, you know, we don't necessarily just say, Hey, like, this is a good idea. Let's run with it. There's sort of, you know, a process of, you know, what exactly are the things that we're trying to solve with the launch of this? What is sort of the messaging around it? Um, and knowing that, you know, when we launch something, it actually means, you know, it actually means something rather than just an entity that launches a new sort of event or a new sort of, you know, project every six weeks. Like, because at that point, you know, like the reason when we launch the best employers of the world, the reason why we get 50 to 100 emails within the first hour of people saying, oh, I love this is because. It's not like we launch something every, every month. Um, so there's a level of, you know, knowing what's going to make the most impact, uh, as quickly as possible alongside, you know, given our resources, what's just gonna, you know, be, be viable.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I mean, I, I followed it for a while, so I'm excited about the growth that you guys are doing and you definitely built up a great following that will give you good feedback too on every time you launch something. So to wrap it yeah. up guys, um, uh, informational interviews is how you all started, and it seems to be a great way to build true connections. I've always been an advocate for more more students and just people in general need to do informational interviews. What is it about informational interviews that you guys think works so well starting out, and why do you think more people maybe should consider doing it while they're in college?
2: Yeah, I'll,
1: I'll answer this. You're Russ, you go first, whatever it is. You take it
2: Yeah. So from, so I did less sort of of the interviews or rather sort of more coordination in terms of providing content to the site. But I, you know, I largely did them just to sort of get a sense of like, you know, realistically, like where sort of each entity that I was whether trying to intern with or, you know, work at down the line, like what their sense of sort of hiring, uh, you know, folks straight out of college would be. So it was, I think a little bit deliberate in that sense where, you know, if I was going to, I didn't just want to intern anywhere out of college. Right. Or even when I was in, you know, my summers, I guess, during college uh, when I was at, you know, attending my university, but I think it was like, have a reason for sort of your informational interviews. Don't just sort of talk to people, just talk to people, like think about what outcome it is you want, right? Like if you want to work for a team, you know, don't just say I'll talk to every single team executive there is like, boil it down to what cities or just be sort of more, in, in your approach because you know I think a lot of times too when even I talk to students now like I'll talk to them and I probably hear from I don't know five percent of them you know six months after our call so it's like you know one make sure you're following up but then two be very strategic in your outreach because even as a student your time you know you have more time when you're in college than you will any time in your life uh, so I think like you know put that to work and whether it's you know, one or two calls a day, just be strategic with it because, you know, it doesn't make sense for you to hop on a call with somebody and not have an end game in terms of like what your potential, you know, results would be or what, what, what's the success of you talking to that person, right? Like have some sort of outcome in mind. And Adam? Yeah, I think my thing, and this was just kind
1: of the way I thought about it at the time is that, a lot of the professionals that I had spoken to, they're just, I wouldn't say they're fed up with, but like, they get a lot of people who just reach out to them and say, hey, can I pick your brain? Can I do this? Can I do that? And generally, that means, hey, can I sit with you for 30 minutes? And then you're never going to hear from me ever again. And so the way I went about it was like, hey, can I tell your story? Uh, Versus like, hey, can I pick your brain? Because at the time, I was publishing the the stories, right? I was writing the Q&As and giving them shine. And it's a heck of a lot different of a conversation when you're like, Hey, can I tell your story versus, Hey, can I talk to you for 20 minutes? And then, Oh, I got some good information. You may never hear from me again. Right. Uh, so I think that was, that was the big thing. And then the other reason is that it's just all about learning, right? Like I spoke with at this point, like by the time you look now five years into it, uh, I've probably done when I started, I did like 110 the first year, probably did like 140 plus maybe even more than that like probably over 200 informational interviews if not more and it's just like I was essentially learning from everyone in the industry right like you have this opportunity to just like talk to them and learn from them Uh, and if you ask great questions they'll give you great answers that's the biggest thing is like I always came prepared with I think differentiated answer or differentiated questions beyond like the traditional hey how'd you get into sports what did you break in what was your thing blah 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 like actually take some time to research them and say, okay, if Adidas is, or say you're talking to someone who's working in Adidas and there's a bunch of stuff going on with someone like Lululemon, who's like dominating the menswear market right now and are like on the rise, you sit down and say, you know, Adidas, yeah, there's Nike and Under Armour and things like that. What are you doing about Lululemon? What are your thoughts about Lululemon? It's just a different conversation that actually shows those people that you care and that you want to take more away from just a, Hey, Chuck from team or Maria from team X, Y, Z, like, how'd you get into sports? Okay, cool. And then also too, I think email is so important, right? Like at the very beginning, instead of having a Gmail, I bought sports.org and I had an email signature and I did this. And obviously like most people don't have to do that, but like, that's what I did to make it feel legit. Like it wasn't just a oh, this is some random kid with my Gmail when I was growing up was batten-with-wood hyphen hyphen at cox.net. Like, I'm not reaching out with that, but it's something that I thought about and just was, like, you know, again, more deliberate on. It's like, okay, if I really wanted the people to take me seriously, I have to treat this seriously. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was interesting. And I just actually, you know, randomly had someone connect with me on LinkedIn the other day and I didn't remember it, and then I just got a random email that had like no context or anything like that, and it was just basically like, "Are we speaking this weekend?" And I was like, "What am I speaking about? I don't know what. I, I just don't know what this is." And so it's just even like little things like that um, go a long way. So that's kind of my advice.
0: Awesome, I appreciate both of you guys, uh, Adam Russ, taking the time. Uh, big <laughs> sports, and hopefully we can get our listeners start consuming the content that you all put out.
1: Yeah, definitely. yeah, thanks.
0: Appreciate job. it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sports Innovation Institute podcast. Be sure to follow the institute on Twitter at iupui underscore sii, and let us know what you thought of this episode. If you know of an innovative business program or researcher that you think we should have on the podcast, please email me, Travis Smith, at tds at And please consider the Sports Innovation Journal if you are looking to publish your new and creative ideas to move the sports industry forward together.